volume one part one chapter nine of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter nine in which is concluded and finished the terrific battle between the gallant biscayan and the valiant manchegan in the first part of this history we left the valiant biscayan and the renowned don quixote with drawn swords uplifted ready to deliver two such furious slashing blows that if they had fallen full and fair they would at least have split and cleft them asunder from top to toe and laid them open like a pomegranate and at this so critical point the delightful history came to a stop and stood cut short without any intimation from the author where what was missing was to be found this distressed me greatly because the pleasure derived from having read such a small portion turned to vexation at the thought of the poor chance that presented itself of finding the large part that so as it seemed to me was missing of such an interesting tale it appeared to me to be a thing impossible and contrary to all precedent that so good a knight should have been without some sage to undertake the task of writing his marvellous achievements a thing that was never wanting to any of those knights errant who they say went after adventures for every one of them had one or two sages as if made on purpose who not only recorded their deeds but described their most trifling thoughts and follies however secret they might be and such a good knight could not have been so unfortunate as not to have what platir and others like him had in abundance and so i could not bring myself to believe that such a gallant tale had been left maimed and mutilated and i laid the blame on time the devourer and destroyer of all things that had either concealed or consumed it on the other hand it struck me that inasmuch as among his books there had been found such modern ones as the enlightenment of jealousy and the nymphs and shepherds of henares his story must likewise be modern and that though it might not be written it might exist in the memory of the people of his village and of those in the neighbourhood this reflection kept me perplexed and longing to know really and truly the whole life and wondrous deeds of our famous spaniard don quixote of la mancha light and mirror of manchegan chivalry and the first that in our age and in these so evil days devoted himself to the labour and exercise of the arms of knight-errantry righting wrongs succouring widows and protecting damsels of that sort that used to ride about whip in hand on their palfreys with all their virginity about them from mountain to mountain and valley to valley for if it were not for some ruffian or boor with a hood and hatchet or monstrous giant that forced them there were in days of your damsels that at the end of eighty years and all which time they had never slept a day under a roof went to their graves as much maids as the mothers that bore them i say then that in these and other respects our noble don quixote is worthy of everlasting and notable praise nor should it be withheld even from me for the labour and pain spent in searching for the conclusion of this delightful history though i know well that if heaven chance and good fortune had not helped me the world would have remained deprived of an entertainment and pleasure that for a couple of hours or so may well occupy him who shall read it attentively the discovery of it occurred in this way 
one day as i was at the alcana of toledo a boy came up to sell some pamphlets and old papers to a silk mercer and as i am fond of reading even the very scraps of paper in the streets led by this natural bent of mine i took up one of the pamphlets the boy had for sale and saw that it was in characters which i recognized as arabic and as i was unable to read them though i could recognize them i looked about to see if there were any spanish-speaking morisco at hand to read them for me nor was there any great difficulty in finding such an interpreter for even had i sought one for an older and better language i should have found him in short chance provided me with one who when i told him what i wanted and put the book into his hand opened it in the middle and after reading a little in it began to laugh i asked him what he was laughing at and he replied that it was at something the book had written in the margin by way of a note i bade him tell it to me and he still laughing said in the margin as i told you this is written this dulcinea del toboso so often mentioned in this history had they say the best hand of any woman in all la mancha for salting pigs when i heard dulcinea del toboso named i was struck with surprise and amazement for it occurred to me at once that these pamphlets contained the history of don quixote with this idea i pressed him to read the beginning and doing so turning the arabic off-hand into castilian he told me it meant history of don quixote of la mancha written by cid hamet benengeli an arab historian it required great caution to hide the joy i felt when the title of the book reached my ears and snatching it from the silk mercer i bought all the papers and pamphlets from the boy for half a real and if he had had his wits about him and had known how eager i was for them he might have safely calculated on making more than six reals by the bargain i withdrew at once with the morisco into the cloister of the cathedral and begged him to turn all these pamphlets that related to don quixote into the castilian tongue without omitting or adding anything to them offering him whatever payment he pleased he was satisfied with two arrobas of raisins and two bushels of wheat and promised to translate them faithfully and with all dispatch but to make the matter more easy and not to let such a precious find out of my hands i took him to my house where in little more than a month and a half he translated the whole just as it is set down here in the first pamphlet the battle between don quixote and the biscayan was drawn to the very life they planted in the same attitude as the history describes their swords raised and the one protected by his buckler the other by his cushion and the biscayan's mule so true to nature that it could be seen to be a hired one a bow-shot off the biscayan had an inscription under his feet which said don sancho de aspietia which no doubt must have been his name and at the feet of rocinante was another that said don quixote rocinante was marvellously portrayed so long and thin so lank and lean with so much backbone and so far gone in consumption that he showed plainly with what judgment and propriety the name of rocinante had been bestowed upon him near him was sancho panza holding the halter of his ass at whose feet was another label that said sancho zancas and according to the picture he must have had a big belly a short body and long shanks for which reason no doubt the names of panza and sancas were given him for by these two surnames the history several times calls him some other trifling particulars might be mentioned but they are all of slight importance and have nothing to do with the true relation of the history and no history can be bad so long as it is true 
if against the present one any objection be raised on the score of its truth it can only be that its author was an arab as lying is a very common propensity with those of that nation though as they are such enemies of ours it is conceivable that there were omissions rather than additions made in the course of it and this is my own opinion for where he could and should give freedom to his pen in praise of so worthy a knight he seems to me deliberately to pass it over in silence which is ill done and worse contrived for it is the business and duty of historians to be exact truthful and wholly free from passion and neither interest nor fear hatred nor love should make them swerve from the path of truth whose mother is history rival of time storehouse of deeds witness for the past example and counsel for the present and warning for the future in this i know will be found all that can be desired in the pleasantest and if it be wanting in any good quality i maintain it is the fault of its hound of an author and not the fault of the subject to be brief its second part according to the translation began in this way with trenchant swords upraised and poised on high it seemed as though the two valiant and wrathful combatants stood threatening heaven and earth and hell with such resolution and determination did they bear themselves the fiery biscayan was the first to strike a blow which was delivered with such force and fury that had not the sword turned in its course that single stroke would have sufficed to put an end to the bitter struggle and to all the adventures of our knight but that good fortune which reserved him for greater things turned aside the sword of his adversary so that although it smote him upon the left shoulder it did him no more harm than to strip all that side of its armour carrying away a great part of his helmet with half of his ear all which with fearful ruin fell to the ground leaving him in a sorry plight good god who is there that could properly describe the rage that filled the heart of our manchegan when he saw himself dealt with in this fashion all that can be said is that it was such that he again raised himself in his stirrups and grasping his sword more firmly with both hands he came down on the biscayan with such fury smiting him full over the cushion and over the head that even so good a shield proving useless as if a mountain had fallen on him he began to bleed from nose mouth and ears reeling as if about to fall backwards from his mule as no doubt he would have done had he not flung his arms about its neck at the same time however he slipped his feet out of the stirrups and then unclasped his arms and the mule taking fright at the terrible blow made off across the plain and with a few plunges flung its master to the ground don quixote stood looking on very calmly and when he saw him fall leaped from his horse and with great briskness ran to him and presenting the point of his sword to his eyes bade him surrender or he would cut his head off the biscayan was so bewildered that he was unable to answer a word and it would have gone hard with him so blind was don quixote had not the ladies in the coach who had hitherto been watching the combat in great terror hastened to where he stood and implored him with earnest entreaties to grant them the great grace and favour of sparing their squire's life to which don quixote replied with much gravity and dignity in truth fair ladies i am well content to do what ye ask of me but it must be on one condition and understanding which is that this knight promise me to go to the village of el toboso and on my part present himself before the peerless lady dulcinea that she deal with him as shall be most pleasing to her 
the terrified and disconsolate ladies without discussing don quixote's demand or asking who dulcinea might be promised that their squire should do all that had been commanded on his part then on the faith of that promise said don quixote i shall do him no further harm though he well deserves it of me end of volume one part one chapter nine recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter ten of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter ten of the pleasant discourse that passed between don quixote and his squire sancho panza now by this time sancho had risen rather the worse for the handling of the friar's muleteers and stood watching the battle of his master don quixote and praying to god in his heart that it might be his will to grant him the victory and that he might thereby win some island to make him governor of as he had promised seeing therefore that the struggle was now over and that his master was returning to mount rocinante he approached to hold the stirrup for him and before he could mount he went on his knees before him and taking his hand kissed it saying may it please your worship senor don quixote to give me the government of that island which has been won in this hard fight for be it ever so big i feel myself in sufficient force to be able to govern it as much and as well as any one in the world who has ever governed islands to which don quixote replied thou must take notice brother sancho that this adventure and those like it are not adventures of islands but of cross-roads in which nothing is got except a broken head or an ear the less have patience for adventures will present themselves from which i may make you not only a governor but something more sancho gave him many thanks and again kissing his hand in the skirt of his hauberk helped him to mount rocinante and mounting his ass himself proceeded to follow his master who at a brisk pace without taking leave or saying anything further to the ladies belonging to the coach turned into a wood that was hard by sancho followed him at his ass's best trot but rocinante stepped out so that seeing himself left behind he was forced to call to his master to wait for him don quixote did so reining in rocinante until his weary squire came up who on reaching him said it seems to me senor that it would be prudent in us to go and take refuge in some church for seeing how mauled he with whom you fought has been left it will be no wonder if they give information of the affair to the holy brotherhood and arrest us and faith if they do before we come out of jail we shall have to sweat for it peace said don quixote where hast thou ever seen or heard that a knight-errant has been arraigned before a court of justice however many homicides he may have committed i know nothing about almosils answered sancho nor in my life have had anything to do with one i only know that the holy brotherhood looks after those who fight in the fields and in that other matter i do not meddle then thou needst have no uneasiness my friend said don quixote for i will deliver thee out of the hands of the chaldeans much more out of those of the brotherhood but tell me as thou livest hast thou seen a more valiant knight than i in all the known world 
hast thou read in history of any who has or had higher mettle in attack more spirit in maintaining it more dexterity in wounding or skill in overthrowing the truth is answered sancho that i have never read any history for i can neither read nor write but what i will venture to bet is that a more daring master than your worship i have never served in all the days of my life and god grant that this daring be not paid for where i have said what i beg of your worship is to dress your wound for a great deal of blood flows from that ear and i have here some lint and a little white ointment in the alforjas all that might be well dispensed with said don quixote if i had remembered to make a vial of the balsam of fierabras for time and medicine are saved by one single drop what vial and what balsam is that said sancho panza it is a balsam answered don quixote the receipt of which i have in my memory with which one need have no fear of death or dread dying of any wound and so when i make it and give it to thee thou hast nothing to do when in some battle thou seest they have cut me in half through the middle of the body as is wont to happen frequently but neatly and with great nicety ere the blood congeal to place that portion of the body which shall have fallen to the ground upon the other half which remains in the saddle taking care to fit it on evenly and exactly then thou shalt give me to drink but two drops of the balsam i have mentioned and thou shalt see me become sounder than an apple if that be so said panza i renounce henceforth the government of the promised island and desire nothing more in payment of my many and faithful services than that your worship give me the receipt of this supreme liquor for i am persuaded it will be worth more than two reals an ounce anywhere and i want no more to pass the rest of my life in ease and honour but it remains to be told if it costs much to make it with less than three reals six quarts of it may be made said don quixote sinner that i am said sancho then why does your worship put off making it and teaching it to me peace friend answered don quixote greater secrets i mean to teach thee and greater favours to bestow upon thee and for the present let us see to the dressing for my ear pains me more than i could wish sancho took out some lint and ointment from the alforjas but when don quixote came to see his helmet shattered he was like to lose his senses and clapping his hand upon his sword and raising his eyes to heaven he said i swear by the creator of all things and the four gospels in their fullest extent to do as the great marquis of mantua did when he swore to avenge the death of his nephew baldwin and that was not to eat bread from a tablecloth nor embrace his wife and other points which though i cannot now call them to mind i here grant as expressed until i take complete vengeance upon him who has committed such an offence against me hearing this sancho said to him your worship should bear in mind senor don quixote that if the knight has done what was commanded him in going to present himself before my lady dulcinea del toboso he will have done all that he was bound to do and does not deserve further punishment unless he commits some new offence thou hast said well and hit the point answered don quixote and so i recall the oath in so far as relates to taking fresh vengeance on him but i make and confirm it anew to lead the life i have said until such time as i take by force from some knight another helmet such as this and as good and think not sancho that i am raising smoke with straw in doing so for i have one to imitate in the matter since the very same thing to a hair happened in the case of mambrino's helmet 
which cost Sacrapante so dear. Senor, replied Sancho, let your worship send all such oaths to the devil, for they are very pernicious to salvation and prejudicial to the conscience. Just tell me now, if for several days to come we fall in with no man armed with a helmet, what are we to do? Is the oath to be observed in spite of all the inconvenience and discomfort it will be to sleep in your clothes and not to sleep in a house and a thousand other mortifications contained in the oath of that old fool, the Marquis of Mantua, which your worship is now wanting to revive? Let your worship observe that there are no men in armor traveling on any of these roads, nothing but carriers and carters, who not only do not wear helmets, but perhaps never heard tell of them all their lives." thou art wrong there said don quixote for we shall not have been two hours among these cross-roads before we see more men in armour than came to albraca to win the fair angelica enough said sancho so be it then and god grant us success and that the time for winning that island which is costing me so dear may soon come and then let me die i have already told thee sancho said don quixote not to give thyself any uneasiness on that score for if an island should fail there is the kingdom of denmark or a sobradisa which will fit thee as a ring fits the finger and all the more than being on terra firma thou wilt all the better enjoy thyself but let us leave that to its own time see if thou hast anything for us to eat in those alforjas because we must presently go in quest of some castle where we may lodge to-night and make the balsam i told thee of for i swear to thee by god this ear is giving me great pain i have here an onion and a little cheese and a few scraps of bread said sancho but they are not victuals fit for a valiant knight like your worship how little thou knowest about it answered don quixote i would have thee to know sancho that it is the glory of knights-errant to go without eating for a month and even when they do eat that it should be of what comes first to hand and this would have been clear to thee hadst thou read as many histories as i have for though they are very many among them all i have found no mention made of knights-errant eating unless by accident or at some sumptuous banquets prepared for them and the rest of the time they passed in dalliance and though it is plain they could not do without eating and performing all the other natural functions because in fact they were men like ourselves it is plain too that wandering as they did the most part of their lives through woods and wilds and without a cook their most usual fare would be rustic viands such as those thou dost now offer me so that friend sancho let not that distress thee which pleases me and do not seek to make a new world or pervert knight-errantry pardon me your worship said sancho for as i cannot read or write as i said just now i neither know nor comprehend the rules of the profession of chivalry henceforward i will stock the alforjas with every kind of dry fruit for your worship as you are a knight and for myself as i am not one i will furnish them with poultry and other things more substantial i do not say sancho replied don quixote that it is imperative on knights-errant not to eat anything else but the fruits thou speakest of only that their more usual diet must be those and certain herbs they found in the fields which they knew and i know too a good thing it is answered sancho to know those herbs for to my thinking it will be needful some day to put that knowledge into practice and here taking out what he said he had brought the pair made their repast peaceably and sociably 
but anxious to find quarters for the night they with all dispatch made an end of their poor dry fare mounted at once and made haste to reach some habitation before night set in but daylight in the hope of succeeding in their object failed them close by the huts of some goatherds so they determined to pass the night there and it was as much to sancho's discontent not to have reached a house as it was to his master's satisfaction to sleep under the open heaven for he fancied that each time this happened to him he performed an act of ownership that helped to prove his chivalry end of volume one part one chapter ten recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter eleven of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter eleven of what befell don quixote with certain goatherds he was cordially welcomed by the goatherds and sancho having as best he could put up rocinante and the ass drew towards the fragrance that came from some pieces of salted goat simmering in a pot on the fire and though he would have liked at once to try if they were ready to be transferred from the pot to the stomach he refrained from doing so as the goatherds removed them from the fire and laying sheepskins on the ground quickly spread their rude table and with signs of hearty goodwill invited them both to share what they had round the skins six of the men belonging to the fold seated themselves having first with rough politeness pressed don quixote to take a seat upon a trough which they placed for him upside down don quixote seated himself and sancho remained standing to serve the cup which was made of horn seeing him standing his master said to him that thou mayest see sancho the good that knight-errantry contains in itself and how those who fill any office in it are on the high road to be speedily honoured and esteemed by the world i desire that thou seat thyself here at my side and in the company of these worthy people and that thou be one with me who am thy master and natural lord and that thou eat from my plate and drink from whatever i drink from for the same may be said of knight-errantry as of love that it levels all great thanks said sancho but i may tell your worship that provided i have enough to eat i can eat it as well or better standing and by myself than seated alongside of an emperor and indeed if the truth is to be told what i eat in my corner without form or fuss has much more relish for me even though it be bread and onions than the turkeys of those other tables where i am forced to chew slowly drink little wipe my mouth every minute and cannot sneeze or cough if i want or do other things that are the privileges of liberty and solitude so senor as for these honours which your worship would put upon me as a servant and follower of knight-errantry which i am being your worship squire exchange them for other things which may be of more use and advantage to me for these though i fully acknowledge them as received i renounce from this moment to the end of the world for all that said don quixote thou must seat thyself because him who humbleth himself god exalteth and seizing him by the arm he forced him to sit down beside himself the goatherds did not understand this jargon about squires and knights-errant 
and all they did was to eat in silence and stare at their guests who with great elegance and appetite were stowing away pieces as big as one's fist the course of meat finished they spread upon the sheepskins a great heap of parched acorns and with them they put down a half cheese harder than if it had been made of mortar all this while the horn was not idle for it went round so constantly now full now empty like the bucket of a water-wheel that it soon drained one of the two wineskins that were in sight when don quixote had quite appeased his appetite he took up a handful of the acorns and contemplating them attentively delivered himself somewhat in this fashion happy the age happy the time to which the ancients gave the name of golden not because in that fortunate age the gold so coveted in this our iron one was gained without toil but because they that lived in it knew not the two words mine and thine in that blessed age all things were in common to win the daily food no labor was required of any save to stretch forth his hand and gather it from the sturdy oaks that stood generously inviting him with their sweet ripe fruit the clear streams and running brooks yielded their savory limpid waters in noble abundance the busy and sagacious bees fixed their republic in the clefts of the rocks and hollows of the trees offering without usance the plenteous produce of their fragrant toil to every hand the mighty cork-trees unenforced save of their own courtesy shed the broad light bark that served at first to roof the houses supported by rude stakes a protection against the inclemency of heaven alone then all was peace all friendship all concord as yet the dull share of the crooked plough had not dared to rend and pierce the tender bowels of our first mother that without compulsion yielded from every portion of her broad fertile bosom all that could satisfy sustain and delight the children that then possessed her then was it that the innocent and fair young shepherdesses roamed from vale to vale and hill to hill with flowing locks and no more garments than were needful modestly to cover what modesty seeks and ever sought to hide nor were there ornaments like those in use to-day set off by tyrian purple and silk tortured in endless fashions but the wreathed leaves of the green dock and ivy wherewith they went as bravely and becomingly decked as our court dames with all the rare and far-fetched artifices that idle curiosity has taught them then the love-thoughts of the heart clothed themselves simply and naturally as the heart conceived them nor sought to commend themselves by forced and rambling verbiage fraud deceit or malice had then not yet mingled with truth and sincerity justice held her ground undisturbed and unassailed by the efforts of favour and of interest that now so much impair pervert and beset her arbitrary law had not yet established itself in the mind of the judge for then there was no cause to judge and no one to be judged maidens and modesty as i have said wandered at will alone and unattended without fear of insult from lawlessness or libertine assault and if they were undone it was of their own will and pleasure but now in this hateful age of ours not one is safe not though some new labyrinth like that of crete conceal and surround her even there the pestilence of gallantry will make its way to them through chinks or on the air by the zeal of its accursed importunity and despite of all seclusion lead them to ruin 
in defence of these as time advanced and wickedness increased the order of knights-errant was instituted to defend maidens to protect widows and to succour the orphans and the needy to this order i belong brother goatherds to whom i return thanks for the hospitality and kindly welcome ye offer me and my squire for though by natural law all living are bound to show favour to knights-errant yet seeing that without knowing this obligation ye have welcomed and feasted me it is right that with all the good will in my power i should thank you for yours all this long harangue which might very well have been spared our knight delivered because the acorns they gave him reminded him of the golden age and the whim seized him to address all this unnecessary argument to the goatherds who listened to him gaping in amazement without saying a word in reply sancho likewise held his peace and ate acorns and paid repeated visits to the second wine-skin which they had hung up on a cork-tree to keep the wine cool don quixote was longer in talking than in finishing his supper at the end of which one of the goatherds said that your worship senor knight-errant might say with more truth that we show you hospitality with ready good will we will give you amusement and pleasure by making one of our comrades sing he will be here before long and he is a very intelligent youth and deep in love and what is more he can read and write and play on the rebeck to perfection the goatherd had hardly done speaking when the notes of the rebeck reached their ears and shortly after the player came up a very good-looking young man of about two and twenty his comrades asked him if he had supped and on his replying that he had he who had already made the offer said to him in that case antonio thou mayest as well do us the pleasure of singing a little that the gentleman our guest here may see that even in the mountains and woods there are musicians we have told him of thy accomplishments and we want thee to show them and prove that we say true so as thou livest pray sit down and sing that ballad about thy love that thy uncle the prebendary made thee and that was so much liked in the town with all my heart said the young man and without waiting for any more pressing he seated himself on the trunk of a felled oak and tuning his rebeck presently began with right good grace to sing to these words antonio's ballad thou dost love me well olaya well i know it even though love's mute tongues thine eyes have never by their glances told me so for i know my love thou knowest therefore thine to claim i dare once it ceases to be secret love need never feel despair true it is olaya sometimes thou hast all too plainly shown that thy heart is brass and hardness and thy snowy bosom stone yet for all that in thy coyness and thy fickle fits between hope is there at least the border of her garment may be seen lures to faith are they those glimpses and to faith in thee i hold kindness cannot make it stronger coldness cannot make it cold if it be that love is gentle in thy gentleness i see something holding out assurance to the hope of winning thee if it be that in devotion lies a power hearts to move that which every day i show thee helpful to my suit should prove many a time thou must have noticed if to notice thou dost care how i go about on monday dressed in all my sunday wear love's eyes love to look on brightness love loves what is gaily dressed sunday monday all i care is thou should see me in my best no account i make of dances or of strains that please thee so keeping thee awake from midnight till the cocks began to crow 
or of how i roundly swore it that there's none so fair as thou true it is but as i said it by the girls i'm hated now for teresa of the hillside at my praise of thee was sore said you think you love an angel it's a monkey you adore caught by all her glittering trinkets and her borrowed braids of hair and a host of made-up beauties that would love himself ensnare twas a lie and so i told her and her cousin at the word gave me his defiance for it and what followed thou hast heard mine is no high-flown affection mine no passion paramour as they call it what i offer is an honest love and pure cunning cords the holy church has cords of softest silk they be put thy neck beneath the yoke dear mine wilt follow thou wilt see else and once for all i swear it by the saint of most renown if i ever quit the mountains twill be in a friar's gown here the goatherd brought his song to an end and though don quixote entreated him to sing more sancho had no mind that way being more inclined for sleep than for listening to songs so said he to his master your worship will do well to settle at once where you mean to spend the night for the labor these good men are at all day does not allow them to spend the night in singing i understand thee sancho replied don quixote i perceive clearly that those visits to the wineskin demand compensation in sleep rather than in music it's sweet to us all blessed be god said sancho i do not deny it replied don quixote but settle thyself where thou wilt those of my calling are more becomingly employed in watching than in sleeping still it would be as well if thou wert to dress this ear for me again for it is giving me more pain than it need sancho did as he bade him but one of the goatherds seeing the wound told him not to be uneasy as he would apply a remedy with which it would be soon healed and gathering some leaves of rosemary of which there was a great quantity there he chewed them and mixed them with a little salt and applying them to the ear he secured them firmly with a bandage assuring him that no other treatment would be required and so it proved end of volume one part one chapter eleven recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter twelve of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter twelve of what a goatherd related to those with don quixote just then another young man one of those who fetched their provisions from the village came up and said do you know what is going on in the village comrades how could we know it replied one of them well then you must know continued the young man this morning that famous student shepherd called chrysostom died and it is rumored that he died of love for that devil of a village girl the daughter of guillermo the rich she that wanders about the wolds here in the dress of a shepherdess you mean marcella said one her i mean answered the goatherd and the best of it is he has directed in his will that he is to be buried in the fields like a moor and at the foot of the rock where the cork tree spring is because as the story goes and they say he himself said so that was the place where he first saw her and he has also left other directions which the clergy of the village say should not and must not be obeyed because they savor of paganism 
to all which his great friend ambrosio the student he who like him also went dressed as a shepherd replies that everything must be done without any omission according to the directions left by chrysostom and about this the village is all in commotion however report says that after all what ambrosio and all the shepherds his friends desire will be done and to-morrow they are coming to bury him with great ceremony where i said i am sure it will be something worth seeing at least i will not fail to go and see it even if i knew i should not return to the village to-morrow we will do the same answered the goatherds and cast lots to see who must stay to mind the goats of all thou sayest well pedro said one though there will be no need of taking that trouble for i will stay behind for all and don't suppose it is virtue or want of curiosity in me it is that the splinter that ran into my foot the other day will not let me walk for all that we thank thee answered pedro don quixote asked pedro to tell him who the dead man was and who the shepherdess to which pedro replied that all he knew was that the dead man was a wealthy gentleman belonging to a village in those mountains who had been a student at salamanca for many years at the end of which he returned to his village with the reputation of being very learned and deeply read above all they said he was learned in the science of the stars and of what went on yonder in the heavens and the sun and the moon for he told us of the crease of the sun and moon to the exact time eclipse it is called friend not crease the darkening of those two luminaries said don quixote but pedro not troubling himself with trifles went on with his story saying also he foretold when the year was going to be one of abundance or estility sterility you mean friends said don quixote sterility or estility answered pedro it is all the same in the end and i can tell you that by this his father and friends who believed him grew very rich because they did as he advised them bidding them sow barley this year not wheat this year you may sow pulse and not barley the next there will be a full oil crop and the three following not a drop will be got that science is called astrology said don quixote i do not know what it is called replied pedro but i know that he knew all this and more besides but to make an end not many months had passed after he returned from salamanca when one day he appeared dressed as a shepherd with his crook and sheepskin having put off the long gown he wore as a scholar and at the same time his great friend ambrosio by name who had been his companion in his studies took to the shepherd's dress with him i forgot to say that chrysostom who is dead was a great man for writing verses so much so that he made carols for christmas eve and plays for corpus christi which the young men of our village acted and all said they were excellent when the villagers saw the two scholars so unexpectedly appearing in shepherd's dress they were lost in wonder and could not guess what had led them to make so extraordinary a change about this time the father of our chrysostom died and he was left heir to a large amount of property in chattels as well as in land no small number of cattle and sheep and a large sum of money of all of which the young man was left dissolute owner and indeed he was deserving of it all for he was a very good comrade and kind-hearted and a friend of worthy folk and had a countenance like a benediction presently it came to be known that he had changed his dress with no other object than to wander about these wastes after that shepherdess marcella our lad mentioned a while ago with whom the deceased chrysostom had fallen in love and i must tell you now for it is well you should know it who this girl is perhaps and even without any perhaps you will not have heard anything like it all the days of your life though you should live more years than sarna 
say sara said don quixote unable to endure the goatherd's confusion of words the sarna lives long enough answered pedro and if senor you must go finding fault with words at every step we shall not make an end of it this twelvemonth pardon me friend said don quixote but as there is such a difference between sarna and sara i told you of it however you have answered very rightly for sarna lives longer than sara so continue your story and i will not object any more to anything i say then my dear sir said the goatherd that in our village there was a farmer even richer than the father of chrysostom who was named guillermo and upon whom god bestowed over and above great wealth a daughter at whose birth her mother died the most respected woman there was in this neighborhood i fancy i can see her now with that countenance which had the sun on one side and the moon on the other and moreover active and kind to the poor for which i trust that at the present moment her soul is in bliss with god in the other world her husband guillermo died of grief at the death of so good a wife leaving his daughter marcella a child and rich to the care of an uncle of hers a priest and prebendary in our village the girl grew up with such beauty that it reminded us of her mother's which was very great and yet it was thought that the daughters would exceed it and so when she reached the age of fourteen to fifteen years nobody beheld her without blessing god that had made her so beautiful and the greater number were in love with her beyond redemption her uncle kept her in great seclusion and retirement but for all that the fame of her great beauty spread so that as well for it as for her great wealth her uncle was asked solicited and importuned to give her in marriage by those not only of our town but of towns many leagues round and by the persons of highest quality in them but he being a good christian man though he desired to give her in marriage at once seeing her to be old enough was unwilling to do so without her consent not that he had any eye to the gain and profit which the custody of the girl's property brought him while he put off her marriage and faith this was said in praise of the good priest in more than one set in the town for i would have you know sir errant that in these little villages everything is talked about and everything is carped at and rest assured as i am that the priest must be over and above good who forces his parishioners to speak well of him especially in villages that is the truth said don quixote but go on for the story is very good and you good pedro tell it with very good grace may that of the lord not be wanting to me said pedro that is the one to have to proceed you must know that though the uncle put before his niece and described to her the qualities of each one in particular of the many who had asked her in marriage begging her to marry and make a choice according to her own taste she never gave any other answer than that she had no desire to marry just yet and that being so young she did not think herself fit to bear the burden of matrimony at these to all appearance reasonable excuses that she made her uncle ceased to urge her and waited till she was somewhat more advanced in age and could mate herself to her own liking for said he and he said quite right parents are not to settle children in life against their will but when one least looked for it lo and behold one day the demure marcella makes her appearance turned shepherdess and in spite of her uncle and all those of the town that strove to dissuade her took to going afield with the other shepherd lasses of the village and tending her own flock and so since she appeared in public and her beauty came to be seen openly i could not well tell you how many rich youths gentlemen and peasants have adopted the costume of chrysostom and go about these fields making love to her one of these as has been already said was our deceased friend of whom they say that he did not love but adore her 
but you must not suppose because marcella chose a life of such liberty and independence and of so little or rather no retirement that she has given any occasion or even the semblance of one for disparagement of her purity and modesty on the contrary such and so great is the vigilance with which she watches over her honour that of all those that court and woo her not one has boasted or can with truth boast that she has given him any hope however small of obtaining his desire for although she does not avoid or shun the society and conversation of the shepherds and treats them courteously and kindly should any one of them come to declare his intention to her though it be one as proper and holy as that of matrimony she flings him from her like a catapult and with this kind of disposition she does more harm in this country than if the plague had got into it for her affability and her beauty draw on the hearts of those that associate with her to love her and to court her but her scorn and her frankness bring them to the brink of despair and so they know not what to say save to proclaim her aloud cruel and hard-hearted and other names of the same sort which well describe the nature of her character and if you should remain here any time senor you would hear these hills and valleys resounding with the laments of the rejected ones who pursue her not far from this there is a spot where there are a couple of dozen of tall beeches and there is not one of them but has carved and written on its smooth bark the name of marcella and above some a crown carved on the same tree as though her lover would say more plainly that marcella wore and deserved that of all human beauty here one shepherd is sighing there another is lamenting there love-songs are heard here despairing elegies one will pass all the hours of the night seated at the foot of some oak or rock and there without having closed his weeping eyes the sun finds him in the morning bemused and bereft of sense and another without relief or respite to his sighs stretched on the burning sand in the full heat of the sultry summer noontide makes his appeal to the compassionate heavens and over one and the other over these and all the beautiful marcella triumphs free and careless and all of us that know her are waiting to see what her pride will come to and who is to be the happy man that will succeed in taming a nature so formidable and gaining possession of a beauty so supreme all that i have told you being such well-established truth i am persuaded that what they say of the cause of chrysostom's death as our lad told us is the same and so i advise you senor fail not to be present to-morrow at his burial which will be well worth seeing for chrysostom had many friends and it is not half a league from this place to where he directed he should be buried i will make a point of it said don quixote and i thank you for the pleasure you have given me by relating so interesting a tale oh said the goatherd i do not know even the half of what has happened to the lovers of marcella but perhaps to-morrow we may fall in with some shepherd on the road who can tell us and now it will be well for you to go and sleep under cover for the night air may hurt your wound though with the remedy i have applied to you there is no fear of an untoward result sancho panza who was wishing the goatherd's loquacity at the devil on his part begged his master to go into pedro's hut to sleep he did so and passed all the rest of the night in thinking of his lady dulcinea in imitation of the lovers of marcella sancho panza settled himself between rocinante and his ass and slept not like a lover who had been discarded but like a man who had been soundly kicked end of volume one part one chapter twelve recording by expatriate in bangor maine
Volume One, Part One, Chapter Thirteen of the Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra, translated by John Ormsby, eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume One, Part One, Chapter Thirteen, in which is ended the story of the shepherdess Marcella with other incidents but hardly had day begun to show itself through the balconies of the east when five of the six goatherds came to rouse don quixote and tell him that if he was still of a mind to go and see the famous burial of chrysostom they would bear him company don quixote who desired nothing better rose and ordered sancho to saddle and panel at once which he did with all dispatch and with the same they all set out forthwith they had not gone a quarter of a league when at the meeting of two paths they saw coming towards them some six shepherds dressed in black sheepskins and with their heads crowned with garlands of cypress and bitter oleander each of them carried a stout holly staff in his hand and along with them there came two men of quality on horseback in handsome travelling dress with three servants on foot accompanying them courteous salutations were exchanged on meeting and inquiring one of the other which way each party was going they learned that all were bound for the scene of the burial so they went on all together one of those on horseback addressing his companion said to him it seems to me senor vivaldo that we may reckon as well spent the delay we shall incur in seeing this remarkable funeral for remarkable it cannot but be judging by the strange things these shepherds have told us of both the dead shepherd and homicide shepherdess so i think too replied vivaldo and i would delay not to say a day but four for the sake of seeing it don quixote asked them what it was they had heard of marcella and chrysostom the traveller answered that the same morning they had met these shepherds and seeing them dressed in this mournful fashion they had asked them the reason of their appearing in such a guise which one of them gave describing the strange behaviour and beauty of a shepherdess called marcella and the loves of many who courted her together with the death of that chrysostom to whose burial they were going in short he repeated all that pedro had related to don quixote this conversation dropped and another was commenced by him who was called vivaldo asking don quixote what was the reason that led him to go armed in that fashion in a country so peaceful to which don quixote replied the pursuit of my calling does not allow or permit me to go in any other fashion easy life enjoyment and repose were invented for soft courtiers but toil unrest and arms were invented and made for those alone whom the world calls knights-errant of whom i though unworthy am the least of all the instant they heard this all set him down as mad and the better to settle the point and discover what kind of madness his was vivaldi proceeded to ask him what knights-errant meant have not your worships replied don quixote read the annals and histories of england in which are recorded the famous deeds of king arthur whom we in our popular castilian invariably call king artus with regard to whom it is an ancient tradition and commonly received all over that kingdom of great britain that this king did not die but was changed by magic art into a raven and that in process of time he is to return to reign and recover his kingdom and sceptre for which reason it cannot be proved that from that time to this any englishman ever killed a raven well then in the time of this good king 
that famous order of chivalry of the knights of the round table was instituted and the amour of don lancelot of the lake with the queen guinevere occurred precisely as is there related the go-between and confidant therein being the highly honourable dame quintanona whence came that ballad so well known and widely spread in our spain oh never surely was there knight so served by hand of dame as served was he sir lancelot hight when he from britain came with all the sweet and delectable course of his achievements in love and war handed down from that time then this order of chivalry went on extending and spreading itself over many and various parts of the world and in it famous and renowned for their deeds were the mighty amadis of gaul with all of his sons and descendants to the fifth generation and the valiant felix marte of hircania and the never sufficiently praised tirante el blanco and in our own days almost we have seen and heard and talked with the invincible knight don belianis of greece this then sirs is to be a knight-errant and what i have spoken of is the order of his chivalry of which as i have already said i though a sinner have made profession and what the aforesaid knights professed that same do i profess and so i go through these solitudes and wilds seeking adventures resolved in soul to oppose my arm and person to the most perilous that fortune may offer me in aid of the weak and needy by these words of his the travellers were able to satisfy themselves of don quixote's being out of his senses and of the form of madness that overmastered him at which they felt the same astonishment that all felt on first becoming acquainted with it and vivaldo who was a person of great shrewdness and of a lively temperament in order to beguile the short journey which they said was required to reach the mountain the scene of the burial sought to give him an opportunity of going on with his absurdities so he said to him it seems to me senor knight-errant that your worship has made choice of one of the most austere professions in the world and i imagine even that of the carthusian monks is not so austere as austere it may perhaps be replied our don quixote but so necessary for the world i am very much inclined to doubt for if the truth is to be told the soldier who executes what his captain orders does no less than the captain himself who gives the order my meaning is that churchmen in peace and quiet pray to heaven for the welfare of the world but we soldiers and knights carry into effect what they pray for defending it with the might of our arms and the edge of our swords not under shelter but in the open air a target for the intolerable rays of the sun in summer and the piercing frosts of winter thus are we god's ministers on earth and the arms in which his justice is done therein and as the business of war and all that relates and belongs to it cannot be conducted without exceeding great sweat toil and exertion it follows that those who make it their profession have undoubtedly more labour than those who in tranquil peace and quiet are engaged in praying to god to help the weak i do not mean to say nor does it enter into my thoughts that the knight-errant's calling is as good as that of the monk in his cell i would merely infer from what i endure myself that it is beyond a doubt a more laborious and a more belaboured one a hungrier and thirstier a wretcheder raggeder and lousier for there is no reason to doubt that the knights errant of yore endured much hardship in the course of their lives and if some of them by the might of their arms did rise to be emperors in faith it cost them dear in the matter of blood and sweat 
and if those who attained to that rank had not had magicians and sages to help them they would have been completely balked in their ambition and disappointed in their hopes that is my own opinion replied the traveller but one thing among many others seems to me very wrong in knights errant and that is that when they find themselves about to engage in some mighty and perilous adventure in which there is manifest danger of losing their lives they never at the moment of engaging in it think of commending themselves to god as is the duty of every good christian in like peril instead of which they commend themselves to their ladies with as much heartiness and devotion as if these were their gods a thing which seems to me to savour somewhat of heathenism sir answered don quixote that cannot be on any account omitted and the knight-errant would be disgraced who acted otherwise for it is usual and customary in knight-errantry that the knight-errant who on engaging in any great feat of arms has his lady before him should turn his eyes towards her softly and lovingly as though with them entreating her to favour and protect him in the hazardous adventure he is about to undertake and even though no one hear him he is bound to say certain words between his teeth commending himself to her with all his heart and of this we have innumerable instances in the histories nor is it to be supposed from this that they are to omit commending themselves to god for there will be time and opportunity for doing so while they are engaged in their task for all that answered the traveller i feel some doubt still because often i have read how words will arise between two knights errant and from one thing to another it comes about that their anger kindles and they wheel their horses round and take a good stretch of field and then without any more ado at the top of their speed they come to the charge and in mid-career they commend themselves to their ladies and what commonly comes of the encounter is that one falls over the haunches of his horse pierced through and through by his antagonist's lance and as for the other it is only by holding on to the mane of his horse that he can help falling to the ground but i know not how the dead man had time to commend himself to god in the course of such rapid work as this it would have been better if those words which he spent in commending himself to his lady in the midst of his career had been devoted to his duty and obligation as a christian moreover it is my belief that all knights-errant have not ladies to commend themselves to for they are not all in love that is impossible said don quixote i say it is impossible that there could be a knight-errant without a lady because to such it is as natural and proper to be in love as to the heavens to have stars most certainly no history has been seen in which there is to be found a knight-errant without an amour and for the simple reason that without one he would be held no legitimate knight but a bastard and one who had gained entrance into the stronghold of the said knighthood not by the door but over the wall like a thief and a robber nevertheless said the traveller if i remember rightly i think i have read that don galaor the brother of the valiant amadis of gaul never had any special lady to whom he might commend himself and yet he was not the less esteemed and was a very stout and famous knight to which our don quixote made answer sir one solitary swallow does not make summer moreover i know that that knight was in secret very deeply in love besides which that way of falling in love with all that took his fancy was a natural propensity which he could not control but in short it is very manifest that he had one alone whom he made mistress of his will to whom he commended himself frequently and very secretly for he prided himself on being a reticent knight 
then if it be essential that every knight-errant should be in love said the traveller it may be fairly supposed that your worship is so as you are of the order and if you do not pride yourself on being as reticent as don galaor i entreat you as earnestly as i can in the name of all this company and in my own to inform us of the name country rank and beauty of your lady for she will esteem herself fortunate if all the world knows that she is loved and served by such a knight as your worship seems to be at this don quixote heaved a deep sigh and said i cannot say positively whether my sweet enemy is pleased or not that the world should know i serve her i can only say in answer to what has been so courteously asked of me that her name is dulcinea her country el toboso a village of la mancha her rank must be at least that of a princess since she is my queen and lady and her beauty superhuman since all the impossible and fanciful attributes of beauty which the poets apply to their ladies are verified in her for her hairs are gold her forehead elysian fields her eyebrows rainbows her eyes suns her cheeks roses her lips coral her teeth pearls her neck alabaster her bosom marble her hands ivory her fairness snow and what modesty conceals from sight such i think and imagine as rational reflection can only extol not compare we should like to know her lineage race and ancestry said vivaldo to which don quixote replied she is not of the ancient roman curti caii or scipios nor of the modern colonus or orsini nor of the moncadas or recasenes of catalonia nor yet of the rebellas or villanovas of valencia palafoxes nuzas rocabertis coreas lunas alagones ureas foques or gureas of aragon Cerdas, Manriques, Mendozas, or Guzmans of Castile, Alencastros, Palace, or Meneses of Portugal, but she is of those of El Toboso of La Mancha, a lineage that, though modern, may furnish a source of gentle blood for the most illustrious families of the ages that are to come and this let none dispute with me save on the condition that zerbino placed at the foot of the trophy of orlando's arm saying these let none move who dareth not his might with roland prove although mine is of the cachopines of laredo said the traveller i will not venture to compare it with that of el toboso of la mancha though to tell the truth no such surname has until now ever reached my ears what said don quixote has that never reached them the rest of the party went along listening with great attention to the conversation of the pair and even the very goatherds and shepherds perceived how exceedingly out of his wits our don quixote was sancho panza alone thought that what his master said was the truth knowing who he was and having known him from his birth and all that he felt any difficulty in believing was that about the fair dulcinea del toboso because neither any such name nor any such princess had ever come to his knowledge though he lived so close to el toboso they were going along conversing in this way when they saw descending a gap between two high mountains some twenty shepherds all clad in sheepskins of black wool and crowned with garlands which as afterwards appeared were some of them of yew some of cyprus six of the number were carrying a bier covered with a great variety of flowers and branches on seeing which one of the goatherds said those who come there are the bearers of chrysostom's body and the foot of that mountain is the place where he ordered them to bury him 
they therefore made haste to reach the spot and did so by the time those who came had laid the bier upon the ground and four of them with sharp pickaxes were digging a grave by the side of a hard rock they greeted each other courteously and then don quixote and those who accompanied him turned to examine the bier and on it covered with flowers they saw a dead body in the dress of a shepherd to all appearance of one thirty years of age and showing even in death that in life he had been of comely features and gallant bearing around him on the bier itself were laid some books and several papers open and folded and those who were looking on as well as those who were opening the grave and all the others who were there preserved a strange silence until one of those who had borne the body said to another observe carefully ambrosio if this is the place chrysostom spoke of since you are anxious that what he directed in his will should be so strictly complied with this is the place answered ambrosio for in it many a time did my poor friend tell me the story of his hard fortune here it was he told me that he saw for the first time that mortal enemy of the human race and here too for the first time he declared to her his passion as honourable as it was devoted and here it was that at last marcella ended by scorning and rejecting him so as to bring the tragedy of his wretched life to a close here in memory of misfortunes so great he desired to be laid in the bowels of eternal oblivion then turning to don quixote and the travellers he went on to say that body sirs on which you are looking with compassionate eyes was the abode of a soul on which heaven bestowed a vast share of its riches that is the body of chrysostom who was unrivalled in wit unequalled in courtesy unapproached in gentle bearing a phoenix in friendship generous without limit grave without arrogance gay without vulgarity and in short first in all that constitutes goodness and second to none in all that makes up misfortune he loved deeply he was hated he adored he was scorned he wooed a wild beast he pleaded with marble he pursued the wind he cried to the wilderness he served in gratitude and for reward was made the prey of death in the mid-course of life cut short by a shepherdess whom he sought to immortalize in the memory of mankind as these papers which you see could fully prove had he not commanded me to consign them to the fire after having consigned his body to the earth you would deal with them more harshly and cruelly than their owner himself said vivaldo for it is neither right nor proper to do the will of one who enjoins what is wholly unreasonable it would not have been reasonable in augustus caesar had he permitted the directions left by the divine mantuan in his will to be carried into effect so that signor ambrosio while you consign your friend's body to the earth you should not consign his writings to oblivion for if he gave the order in bitterness of heart it is not right that you should irrationally obey it on the contrary by granting life to those papers let the cruelty of marcella live for ever to serve as a warning in ages to come to all men to shun and avoid falling into like danger for i and all of us who have come here i know already the story of this your love-stricken and heart-broken friend and we know too your friendship and the cause of his death and the directions he gave at the close of his life from which sad story may be gathered how great was the cruelty of marcella the love of chrysostom and the loyalty of your friendship together with the end awaiting those who pursue rashly the path that insane passion opens to their eyes last night we learned the death of chrysostom and that he was to be buried here 
and out of curiosity and pity we left our direct road and resolved to come and see with our eyes that which when heard of had so moved our compassion and in consideration of that compassion and our desire to prove it if we might by condolence we beg of you excellent ambrosio or at least i in my own account entreat you that instead of burning those papers you allow me to carry away some of them and without waiting for the shepherd's answer he stretched out his hand and took up some of those that were nearest to him seeing which ambrosio said out of courtesy senor i will grant your request as to those you have taken but it is idle to expect me to abstain from burning the remainder vivaldo who was eager to see what the papers contained opened one of them at once and saw that its title was lay of despair ambrosio hearing it said that is the last paper the unhappy man wrote and that you may see senor to what an end his misfortunes brought him read it so that you may be heard for you will have time enough for that while we are waiting for the grave to be dug i will do so very willingly said vivaldo and as all the bystanders were equally eager they gathered round him and he reading in a loud voice found that it ran as follows end of volume one part one chapter thirteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter fourteen of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter fourteen wherein are inserted the despairing verses of the dead shepherd together with other incidents not looked for the lay of chrysostom since thou dost in thy cruelty desire the ruthless rigour of thy tyranny from tongue to tongue from land to land proclaimed the very hell will i constrain to lend the stricken breast of mine deep notes of woe to serve my need of fitting utterance and as i strive to body forth the tale of all i suffer all that thou hast done forth shall the dread voice roll and bear along shreds from my vitals torn for greater pain then listen not to dulcet harmony but to a discord wrung by mad despair out of this bosom's depths of bitterness to ease my heart and plant a sting in thine the lion's roar the fierce wolf's savage howl the horrid hissing of the scaly snake the awesome cries of monsters yet unnamed the crow's ill-boding croak the hollow moan of wild winds wrestling with the restless sea the wrathful bellow of the vanquished bull the plaintive sobbing of the widowed dove the envied owl's sad note the wail of woe that rises from the dreary choir of hell commingled in one sound confusing sense let all these come to aid my soul's complaint for pain like mine demands new modes of song no echoes of that discord shall be heard where father tagus rolls or on the banks of olive-boarded betus to the rocks or in deep caverns shall my plaint be told and by a lifeless tongue in living words or in dark valleys or on lonely shores where neither foot of man nor sunbeam falls or in among the poison-breathing swarms of monsters nourished by the sluggish nile 
for though it be to solitudes remote the hoarse vague echoes of my sorrows sound thy matchless cruelty my dismal fate shall carry them to all the spacious world disdain hath power to kill and patience dies slain by suspicion be it false or true and deadly is the force of jealousy long absence makes of life a dreary void no hope of happiness can give repose to him that ever fears to be forgot and death inevitable waits in all but i by some strange miracle live on a prey to absence jealousy disdain racked by suspicion as by certainty forgotten left to feed my flame alone and while i suffer thus there comes no ray of hope to gladden me athwart the gloom nor do i look for it in my despair but rather clinging to a cureless woe all hope do i abjure for evermore can there be hope where fear is were it well when far more certain are the grounds of fear ought i to shut mine eyes to jealousy if through a thousand heart wounds it appears who would not give free access to distrust seeing disdain unveiled and bitter change all his suspicions turn to certainties and the fair truth transformed into a lie o thou fierce tyrant of the realms of love o jealousy put chains upon these hands and bind me with thy strongest cord disdain but woe is me triumphant over all my sufferings drown the memory of you and now i die and since there is no hope of happiness for me in life or death still to my fantasy i'll fondly cling i'll say that he is wise who loveth well and that the soul most free is that most bound in thraldom to the ancient tyrant love i'll say that she who is mine enemy in that fair body hath as fair a mind and that her coldness is but my desert and that by virtue of the pain he sends love rules his kingdom with a gentle sway thus self-deluding and in bondage sore and wearing out the wretched shred of life to which i am reduced by her disdain i'll give this soul and body to the winds all hopeless of a crown of bliss in store thou whose injustice hath supplied the cause that makes me quit the weary life i loathe as by this wounded bosom thou canst see how willingly thy victim i become let not my death if haply worth a tear cloud the clear heaven that dwells in thy bright eyes i would not have thee expiate in aught the crime of having made my heart thy prey but rather let thy laughter gaily ring and prove my death to be thy festival fool that i am to bid thee well i know thy glory gains by my untimely end and now it is the time from hell's abyss comes thirsting tantalus comes sisyphus heaving the cruel stone comtidious with vulture and with wheel ixion come and come the sisters of the ceaseless toil and all into this breast transfer their pains and if such tribute to despair be due chant in their deepest tones a doleful dirge over a course unworthy of a shroud let the three-headed guardian of the gate in all the monstrous progeny of hell the doleful concert join a lover dead methinks can have no fitter obsequies lay of despair grieve not when thou art gone forth from this sorrowing heart my misery brings fortune to the cause that gave thee birth 
than banish sadness even in the tomb the lay of chrysostom met with the approbation of the listeners though the reader said it did not seem to him to agree with what he had heard of marcella's reserve and propriety for chrysostom complained in it of jealousy suspicion and absence all to the prejudice of the good name and fame of marcella to which ambrosio replied as one who knew well his friend's most secret thoughts senor to remove that doubt i should tell you that when the unhappy man wrote this lay he was away from marcella from whom he had voluntarily separated himself to try if absence would act with him as it is wont and as everything distresses and every fear haunts the banished lover so imaginary jealousies and suspicions dreaded as if they were true tormented chrysostom and thus the truth of what report declares of the virtue of marcella remains unshaken and with her envy itself should not and cannot find any fault save that of being cruel somewhat haughty and very scornful that is true said vivaldo and as he was about to read another paper of those he had preserved from the fire he was stopped by a marvellous vision for such it seemed that unexpectedly presented itself to their eyes for on the summit of the rock where they were digging the grave there appeared the shepherdess marcella so beautiful that her beauty exceeded its reputation those who had never till then beheld her gazed upon her in wonder and silence and those who were accustomed to see her were not less amazed than those who had never seen her before but the instant ambrosio saw her he addressed her with manifest indignation art thou come cruel basilisk of these mountains to see if haply in thy presence blood will flow from the wounds of this wretched being thy cruelty has robbed of life or is it to exult over the cruel work of thy humours that thou art come or like another pitiless nero to look down from that height upon the ruin of thy roman ashes or in thy arrogance to trample on this ill-fated corpse as the ungrateful daughter trampled on her father tarquin's tell us quickly for what thou art come or what it is thou wouldst have for as i know the thoughts of chrysostom never failed to obey thee in life i will make all these who call themselves his friends obey thee though he be dead i come not ambrosio for any of the purposes thou hast named replied marcella but to defend myself and to prove how unreasonable are all those who blame me for their sorrow and for chrysostom's death and therefore i ask all of you that are here to give me your attention for it will not take much time or many words to bring the truth home to persons of sense heaven has made me so you say beautiful and so much so that in spite of yourselves my beauty leads you to love me and for the love you show me you say and even urge that i am bound to love you by that natural understanding which god has given me i know that everything beautiful attracts love but i cannot see how by reason of being loved that which is loved for its beauty is bound to love that which loves it besides it may happen that the lover of that which is beautiful may be ugly and ugliness being detestable it is very absurd to say i love thee because thou art beautiful thou must love me though i be ugly but supposing the beauty equal on both sides it does not follow that the inclinations must be therefore alike for it is not every beauty that excites love some but pleasing the eye without winning the affection and if every sort of beauty excited love and won the heart the will would wander vaguely to and fro unable to make choice of any for as there is an infinity of beautiful objects there must be an infinity of inclinations and true love i have heard it said is indivisible 
and must be voluntary and not compelled if this be so as i believe it to be why do you desire me to bend my will by force for no other reason but that you say you love me nay tell me had heaven made me ugly as it has made me beautiful could i with justice complain of you for not loving me moreover you must remember that the beauty i possess was no choice of mine for be it what it may heaven of its bounty gave it me without my asking or choosing it and as the viper though it kills with it does not deserve to be blamed for the poison it carries as it is a gift of nature neither do i deserve reproach for being beautiful for beauty in a modest woman is like fire at a distance or a sharp sword the one does not burn the other does not cut those who do not come too near honor and virtue are the ornaments of the mind without which the body though it be so has no right to pass for beautiful but if modesty is one of the virtues that specially lend a grace and charm to mind and body why should she who is loved for her beauty part with it to gratify one who for his pleasure alone strives with all his might and energy to rob her of it i was born free and that i might live in freedom i chose the solitude of the fields in the trees of the mountains i find society the clear waters of the brooks are my mirrors and to the trees and waters i make known my thoughts and charms i am a fire afar off a sword laid aside those whom i have inspired with love by letting them see me i have by words undeceived and if their longings live on hope and i have given none to chrysostom or to any other it cannot justly be said that the death of any is my doing for it was rather his own obstinacy than my cruelty that killed him and if it be made a charge against me that his wishes were honourable and that therefore i was bound to yield to them i answer that when on this very spot where now his grave is made he declared to me his purity of purpose i told him that mine was to live in perpetual solitude and that the earth alone should enjoy the fruits of my retirement and the spoils of my beauty and if after this open avowal he chose to persist against hope and steer against the wind what wonder is it that he should sink in the depths of his infatuation if i had encouraged him i should have been false if i had gratified him i should have acted against my own better resolution and purpose he was persistent in spite of warning he despaired without being hated bethink you now if it be reasonable that his suffering should be laid to my charge let him who has been deceived complain let him whose encouraged hopes have proved vain give way to despair let him whom i shall entice flatter himself let him whom i shall receive boast but let not him to whom i make no promise upon whom i practice no deception whom i neither entice nor receive call me cruel or homicide it has not been so far the will of heaven that i should love by fate and to expect me to love by choice is idle let this general declaration serve for each of my suitors on his own account and let it be understood from this time forth that if any one dies for me it is not of jealousy or misery he dies for she who loves no one can give no cause for jealousy to any and candor is not to be confounded with scorn let him who calls me wild beast and basilisk leave me alone as something noxious and evil let him who calls me ungrateful withhold his service who calls me wayward seek not my acquaintance who calls me cruel pursue me not for this wild beast this basilisk 
this ungrateful cruel wayward being has no kind of desire to seek serve know or follow them if chrysostom's impatience and violent passion killed him why should my modest behaviour and circumspection be blamed if i preserve my purity in the society of the trees why should he who would have me preserve it among men seek to rob me of it i have as you know wealth of my own and i covet not that of others my taste is for freedom and i have no relish for constraint i neither love nor hate any one i do not deceive this one or court that or trifle with one or play with another the modest converse of the shepherd girls of these hamlets and the care of my goats are my recreations my desires are bounded by these mountains and if they ever wander hence it is to contemplate the beauty of the heavens steps by which the soul travels to its primeval abode with these words and not waiting to hear a reply she turned and passed into the thickest part of a wood that was hard by leaving all who were there lost in admiration as much of her good sense as of her beauty some those wounded by the irresistible shafts launched by her bright eyes made as though they would follow her heedless of the frank declaration they had heard seeing which and deeming this a fitting occasion for the exercise of his chivalry in aid of distressed damsels don quixote laying his hand on the hilt of his sword exclaimed in a loud and distinct voice let no one whatever his rank or condition dare to follow the beautiful marcella under pain of incurring my fierce indignation she has shown by clear and satisfactory arguments that little or no fault is to be found with her for the death of chrysostom and also how far she is from yielding to the wishes of any of her lovers for which reason instead of being followed and persecuted she should in justice be honoured and esteemed by all the good people of the world for she shows that she is the only woman in it that holds to such a virtuous resolution whether it was because of the threats of don quixote or because ambrosio told them to fulfil their duty to their good friend none of the shepherds moved or stirred from the spot until having finished the grave and burned chrysostom's papers they laid his body in it not without many tears from those who stood by they closed the grave with a heavy stone until a slab was ready which antonio said he meant to have prepared with an epitaph which was to be to this effect beneath the stone before your eyes the body of a lover lies in life he was a shepherd swain in death a victim to disdain ungrateful cruel coy and fair was she that drove him to despair and love hath made her his ally for spreading wide his tyranny they then strewed upon the grave a profusion of flowers and branches and all expressing their condolence with his friend ambrosio took their leave vivaldo and his companion did the same and don quixote bade farewell to his host and to the travellers who pressed him to come with them to seville as being such a convenient place for finding adventures for they presented themselves in every street and round every corner oftener than anywhere else don quixote thanked them for their advice and for the disposition they showed to do him a favour and said that for the present he would not and must not go to seville until he had cleared all these mountains of highwaymen and robbers of whom report said they were full seeing his good intention the travellers were unwilling to press him further 
and once more bidding him farewell they left him and pursued their journey in the course of which they did not fail to discuss the story of marcella and chrysostom as well as the madness of don quixote he on his part resolved to go in quest of the shepherdess marcella and make offer to her of all the service he could render her but things did not fall out with him as he expected according to what is related in the course of this voracious history of which the second part ends here end of volume one part one chapter fourteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter fifteen of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter fifteen in which is related the unfortunate adventure that don quixote fell in with when he fell out with certain heartless young gaysons the sage cid ahmet benengeli relates that as soon as don quixote took leave of his hosts and all who had been present at the burial of chrysostom he and his squire passed into the same wood which they had seen the shepherdess marcella enter and after having wandered for more than two hours in all directions in search of her without finding her they came to a halt in a glade covered with tender grass beside which ran a pleasant cool stream that invited and even compelled them to pass there the hours of the noontide heat which by this time was beginning to come on oppressively don quixote and sancho dismounted and turning rocinante and the ass loose to feed on the grass that was there in abundance they ransacked the alforjas and without any ceremony very peacefully and sociably master and man made their repast on what they found in them sancho had not thought it worth while to hobble rocinante feeling sure from what he knew of his staidness and freedom from incontinence that all the mares in the cordova pastures would not lead him into an impropriety chance however and the devil who is not always asleep so ordained it that feeding in this valley there was a drove of galician ponies belonging to certain young gason carriers whose way it is to take their midday rest with their teams in places and spots where grass and water abound and that where don quixote chanced to be suited the young gason's purpose very well it so happened then that rocinante took a fancy to disport himself with their ladyships the ponies and abandoning his usual gait and demeanour as he scented them he without taking leave of his master got up a briskish little trot and hastened to make known his wishes to them they however it seemed preferred their pasture to him and received him with their heels and teeth to such effect that they soon broke his girths and left him naked without a saddle to cover him but what must have been worse to him was that the carriers seeing the violence he was offering to their mares came running up armed with stakes and so belaboured him that they brought him sorely battered to the ground by this time don quixote and sancho who had witnessed the drubbing of rocinante came up panting and said don quixote to sancho so far as i can see friend sancho these are not knights but base folk of low birth i mention it because thou canst lawfully aid me in taking due vengeance for the insult offered to rocinante before our eyes 
what the devil vengeance can we take answered sancho if they are more than twenty and we no more than two or indeed perhaps not more than one and a half i count for a hundred replied don quixote and without more words he drew his sword and attacked the young gaysons and incited and impelled by the example of his master sancho did the same and to begin with don quixote delivered a slash at one of them that laid open the leather jerkin he wore together with a great portion of his shoulder the young gaysons seeing themselves assaulted by only two men while they were so many betook themselves to their stakes and driving the two into the middle they began to lay on with great zeal and energy in fact at the second blow they brought sancho to the ground and don quixote fared the same way all his skill and high mettle availing him nothing and fate willed it that he should fall at the feet of rocinante who had not yet risen whereby it may seem how furiously stakes can pound in angry boorish hands then seeing the mischief they had done the young gaysons with all the haste they could loaded their team and pursued their journey leaving the two adventurers a sorry sight and in sorrier mood sancho was the first to come to and finding himself close to his master he called to him in a weak and doleful voice senor don quixote ah senor don quixote what wouldst thou brother sancho answered don quixote in the same feeble suffering tone as sancho i would like if it were possible answered sancho panza your worship to give me a couple of sups of that potion of the fiery blas if it be that you have any to hand there perhaps it will serve for broken bones as well as for wounds if i only had it here wretch that i am what more should we want said don quixote but i swear to thee sancho panza on the faith of a knight-errant ere two days are over unless fortune orders otherwise i mean to have it in my possession or my hand will have lost its cunning but in how many ways does your worship think we shall have the use of our feet answered sancho panza for myself i must say i cannot guess how many said the battered knight don quixote but i take all the blame upon myself for i had no business to put hand to sword against men who were not dubbed knights like myself and so i believe that in punishment for having transgressed the laws of chivalry the god of battles has permitted this chastisement to be administered to me for which reason brother sancho it is well thou shouldst receive a hint on the matter which i am now about to mention to thee for it is of much importance to the welfare of both of us it is that when thou shalt see rabble of this sort offering us insult thou art not to wait till i draw sword against them for i shall not do so at all but do thou draw sword and chastise them to thy heart's content and if any knights come to their aid and defence i will take care to defend thee and assail them with all my might and thou hast already seen by a thousand signs and proofs what the might of this strong arm of mine is equal to so uplifted had the poor gentleman become through the victory over the stout biscayan but sancho did not so fully approve of his master's admonition as to let it pass without saying in reply senor i am a man of peace meek and quiet and i can put up with any affront because i have a wife and children to support and bring up so let it be likewise a hint to your worship as it cannot be a mandate that on no account will i draw sword either against clown or against knight 
and that here before god i forgive all the insults that have been offered me or may be offered me whether they have been or as shall be offered me by high or low rich or poor noble or commoner not excepting any rank or condition whatsoever to all which his master said in reply i wish i had breath enough to speak somewhat easily and that the pain i feel on this side would abate so as to let me explain to thee panza the mistake thou makest come now sinner suppose the wind of fortune hitherto so adverse should turn in our favour filling the sails of our desires so that safely and without impediment we put into port in some one of those islands i have promised thee how would it be with thee if on winning it i made thee lord of it why thou wilt make it well-nigh impossible through not being a knight nor having any desire to be one nor possessing the courage nor the will to avenge insults or defend thy lordship for thou must know that in newly conquered kingdoms and provinces the minds of the inhabitants are never so quiet nor so well disposed to the new lord that there is no fear of their making some move to change matters once more and try as they say what chance may do for them so it is essential that the new possessor should have good sense to enable him to govern and valour to attack and defend himself whatever may befall him in what has now befallen us answered sancho i'd have been well pleased to have that good sense and that valour your worship speaks of but swear on the faith of a poor man i am more fit for plasters than for arguments see if your worship can get up and let us help rocinante though he does not deserve it for he was the main cause of all this thrashing i never thought it of rocinante for i took him to be a virtuous person and as quiet as myself after all they say right that it takes a long time to come to know people and that there is nothing sure in this life who would have said that after such mighty slashes as your worship gave that unlucky knight-errant there was coming travelling post and at the very heels of them such a great storm of sticks as has fallen upon our shoulders and yet thine sancho replied don quixote ought to be used to such squalls but mine reared in soft cloth and fine linen it is plain they must feel more keenly the pain of this mishap and if it were not that i imagine why do i say imagine know of a certainty that all these annoyances are very necessary accompaniments of the calling of arms i would lay me down here to die of pure vexation to this the squire replied senor as these mishaps are what one reaps of chivalry tell me if they happen very often or if they have their own fixed times for coming to pass because it seems to me that after two harvests we shall be no good for the third unless god in his infinite mercy helps us no friend sancho answered don quixote that the life of knights-errant is subject to a thousand dangers and reverses and neither more nor less is it within immediate possibility for knights-errant to become kings and emperors as experience has shown in the case of many different knights with whose histories i am thoroughly acquainted and i could tell thee now if the pain would let me of some who simply by might of arm have risen to the high stations i have mentioned and those same both before and after experienced diverse misfortunes and miseries for the valiant amadis of gaul found himself in the power of his mortal enemy archelaus the magician who it is positively asserted holding him captive gave him more than two hundred lashes with the reins of his horse while tied to one of the pillars of a court 
and moreover there is a certain recondite author of no small authority who says that the knight of phoebus being caught in a certain pitfall which opened under his feet in a certain castle on falling found himself bound hand and foot in a deep pit underground where they administered to him one of those things they call clysters of sand and snow water that well nigh finished him and if he had not been succored in that sore extremity by a sage a great friend of his it would have gone very hard with the poor knight so i may well suffer in company with such worthy folk for greater were the indignities which they had to suffer than those which we suffer for i would have thee know sancho that wounds caused by any instruments which happen by chance to be in hand inflict no indignity and this is laid down in the law of the duel in express words if for instance the cobbler strikes another with the last which he has in his hand though it be in fact a piece of wood it cannot be said for that reason that he whom he struck with it has been cudgelled i say this lest thou shouldst imagine that because we have been drubbed in this affray we have therefore suffered any indignity for the arms those men carried with which they pounded us were nothing more than their stakes and not one of them so far as i remember carried rapier sword or dagger they gave me no time to see that much answered sancho for hardly had i laid hand on my tizona when they signed the cross on my shoulders with their sticks in such style that they took the sight out of my eyes and the strength out of my feet stretching me where i now lie and were thinking of whether all those stake strokes were in indignity or not gives me no uneasiness which the pain of the blows does for they will remain as deeply impressed on my memory as on my shoulders for all that let me tell thee brother panza said don quixote that there is no recollection which time does not put an end to and no pain which death does not remove and what greater misfortune can there be replied panza than the one that waits for time to put an end to it and death to remove it if our mishap were one of those that are cured with a couple of plasters it would not be so bad but i am beginning to think that all the plasters in a hospital almost won't be enough to put us right no more of that pluck strength out of weakness sancho as i mean to do returned don quixote and let us see how rocinante is for it seems to me that not the least share of this mishap has fallen to the lot of the poor beast there is nothing wonderful in that replied sancho since he is a knight-errant too what i wonder at is that my beast should have come off scot-free where we come out scotched fortune always leaves a door open in adversity in order to bring relief to it said don quixote i say so because this little beast may now supply the want of rocinante carrying me hence to some castle where i may be cured of my wounds and moreover i shall not hold it any dishonour to be so mounted for i remember having read how the good old silenus the tutor and instructor of the gay god of laughter when he entered the city of the hundred gates went very contentedly mounted on a handsome ass it may be true that he went mounted as your worship says answered sancho but there is a great difference between going mounted and going slung like a sack of manure to which don quixote replied wounds received in battle confer honour instead of taking it away and so friend panza say no more but as i told thee before get up as well as thou canst and put me on top of thy beast in whatever fashion pleases thee best and let us go hence ere night come on and surprise us in these wilds and yet i have heard your worship say observed panza 
that it is very meet for knights errant to sleep in wastes and deserts the best part of the year and that they esteem it very good fortune that is said don quixote when they cannot help it or when they are in love and so true is this that there have been knights who have remained two years on rocks in sunshine and shade in all the inclemencies of heaven without their ladies knowing anything of it and one of these was a modest when under the name of beltenebros he took up his abode on the peña pobre for i know not if it was eight years or eight months for i am not very sure of the reckoning at any rate he stayed there doing penance for i know not what pique the princess oriana had against him but no more of this now sancho and make haste before some other mishap like rocinante's befalls the ass the very devil would be in it in that case said sancho and letting off thirty o's and sixty sighs and a hundred and twenty maledictions and execrations on whomsoever it was that had brought him there he raised himself stopping halfway bent like a turkish bow without power to bring himself upright but with all his pains he saddled his ass who too had gone astray somewhat yielding to the excessive license of the day he next raised up rocinante and as for him had he possessed a tongue to complain with most assuredly neither sancho nor his master would have been behind him to be brief sancho fixed don quixote on the ass and secured rocinante with a leading rein and taking the ass by the halter he proceeded more or less in the direction in which it seemed to him the high road might be and as chance was conducting their affairs for them from good to better he had not gone a short league when the road came in sight and on it he perceived an inn which to his annoyance and to the delight of don quixote must needs be a castle sancho insisted that it was an inn and his master that it was not one but a castle and the dispute lasted so long that before the point was settled they had time to reach it and into it sancho entered with all his team without any further controversy End of Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 15 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 16 Of the Ingenious Gentleman, Don Quixote of La Mancha By Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra Translated by John Ormsby, 1829-1895 this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 16 Of what happened to the ingenious gentleman in the inn which he took to be a castle. The innkeeper, seeing Don Quixote slung across the ass, asked Sancho what was amiss with him. Sancho answered that it was nothing, only that he had fallen down from a rock and had his ribs a little bruised the innkeeper had a wife whose disposition was not such as those of her calling commonly have for she was by nature kind-hearted and felt for the sufferings of her neighbours so she at once set about tending don quixote and made her young daughter a very comely girl help her in taking care of her guest there was besides in the inn as servant an asturian lass with a broad face flat pole and snub nose blind of one eye and not very sound in the other the elegance of her shape to be sure made up for all her defects she did not measure seven palms from head to foot and her shoulders which overweighted her somewhat made her contemplate the ground more than she liked this graceful lass then helped the young girl 
and the two made up a very bad bed for don quixote in a garret that showed evident signs of having formerly served for many years as a straw loft in which there was also quartered a carrier whose bed was placed a little beyond our don quixote's and though only made of the pack saddles and claws of his mules had much the advantage of it as don quixote's consisted simply of four rough boards on two not very even trestles a mattress that for thinness might have passed for a quilt full of pellets which were they not seen through the rents to be wool would to the touch have seemed pebbles in hardness two sheets made of buckler leather and a coverlet the threads of which any one that chose might have counted without missing one in the reckoning on this accursed bed don quixote stretched himself and the hostess and her daughter soon covered him with plasters from top to toe while maritornes for that was the name of the asturian held the light for them and while plastering him the hostess observing how full of wheels don quixote was in some places remarked that this had more the look of blows than of a fall it was not blows sancho said but that the rock had many points and projections and that each of them had left its mark pray senora he added manage to save some toe as there will be no want of someone to use it for my loins too are rather sore then you must have fallen too said the hostess i did not fall said sancho panza but from the shock i got at seeing my master fall my body aches so that i feel as if i had had a thousand thwacks that may well be said the young girl for it has many a time happened to me to dream that i was falling down from a tower and never coming to the ground and when i awoke from the dream to find myself as weak and shaken as if i had really fallen there is the point senora replied sancho panza that i without dreaming at all but being more awake than i am now find myself with scarcely less wheels than my master don quixote how is the gentleman called asked maritornes the astorian don quixote of la mancha answered sancho panza and he is a knight adventurer and one of the best and stoutest that have been seen in the world this long time past what is a knight adventurer said the lass are you so new in the world as not to know answered sancho panza well then you must know sister that a knight adventurer is a thing that in two words is seen drubbed and emperor that is to-day the most miserable and needy being in the world and to-morrow will have two or three crowns of kingdoms to give his squire then how is it said the hostess that belonging to so good a master as this you have not to judge by appearances even so much as a county it is too soon yet answered sancho for we have only been a month going in quest of adventures and so far we have met with nothing that can be called one for it will happen that when one thing is looked for another thing is found however if my master don quixote gets well of this wound or fall and i am left none the worse of it i would not change my hopes for the best title in spain to all this conversation don quixote was listening very attentively and sitting up in bed as well as he could and taking the hostess by the hand he said to her believe me fair lady you may call yourself fortunate in having in this castle of yours sheltered my person which is such that if i do not myself praise it it is because of what is commonly said that self-praise debaseth but my squire will inform you who i am i only tell you that i shall preserve for ever inscribed on my memory the service you have rendered me in order to tender you my gratitude while life shall last me 
and would to heaven love held me not so enthralled and subject to its laws and to the eyes of that fair ingrate whom i name between my teeth but that those of this lovely damsel might be the masters of my liberty the hostess her daughter and the worthy maritornes listened in bewilderment to the words of the knight-errant for they understood about as much of them as if he had been talking greek though they could perceive they were all meant for expressions of good-will and blandishments and not being accustomed to this kind of language they stared at him and wondered to themselves for he seemed to them a man of a different sort from those they were used to and thanking him in pot-house phrase for his civility they left him while the asturian gave her attention to sancho who needed it no less than his master the carrier had made an arrangement with her for recreation that night and she had given him her word that when the guests were quiet and the family asleep she would come in search of him and meet his wishes unreservedly and it is said of this good lass that she never made promises of the kind without fulfilling them even though she made them in a forest and without any witness present for she plumed herself greatly on being a lady and held it no disgrace to be in such an employment as servant in an inn because she said misfortunes and ill-luck had brought her to that position the hard narrow wretched rickety bed of don quixote stood first in the middle of this starlit stable and close beside it sancho made his which merely consisted of a rush mat and a blanket that looked as if it was of threadbare canvas rather than of wool next to these two beds was that of the carrier made up as has been said of the pack saddles and all the trappings of the two best mules he had though there were twelve of them sleek plump and in prime condition for he was one of the rich carriers of arevalo according to the author of this history who particularly mentions this carrier because he knew him very well and they even say was in some degree a relation of his besides which sid hamet benengeli was a historian of great research and accuracy in all things as is very evident since he would not pass over in silence those that have been already mentioned however trifling and insignificant they might be an example that might be followed by those grave historians who relate transactions so curtly and briefly that we hardly get a taste of them all the substance of the work being left in the ink-bottle from carelessness perverseness or ignorance a thousand blessings on the author of tablante de ricamante and that of the other book in which the deeds of the conde tomias are recounted with what minuteness they describe everything to proceed then after having paid a visit to his team and given them their second feed the carrier stretched himself on his pack-saddles and lay waiting for his conscientious maritornes sancho was by this time plastered and had lain down and though he strove to sleep the pain of his ribs would not let him while don quixote with the pain of his had his eyes as wide open as a hare's the inn was all in silence and in the whole of it there was no light except that given by a lantern that hung burning in the middle of the gateway this strange stillness and the thoughts always present to our knight's mind of the incidents described at every turn in the books that were the cause of his misfortune conjured up to his imagination as extraordinary a delusion as can well be conceived which was that he fancied himself to have reached a famous castle for as has been said all the inns he lodged in were castles to his eyes 
and that the daughter of the innkeeper was daughter of the lord of the castle and that she won by his high-bred bearing had fallen in love with him and had promised to come to his bed for a while that night without the knowledge of her parents and holding as solid fact all this fantasy that he had constructed he began to feel uneasy and to consider the perilous risk which his virtue was about to encounter and he resolved in his heart to commit no treason to his lady dulcinea del toboso even though the queen guinevere herself and the dame quintanona should present themselves before him while he was taken up with these vagaries then the time and the hour an unlucky one for him arrived for the asturian to come who in her smock with bare feet and her hair gathered into a fustian coif with noiseless and cautious steps entered the chamber where the three were quartered in quest of the carrier but scarcely had she gained the door when don quixote perceived her and sitting up in his bed in spite of his plasters and the pain of his ribs he stretched out his arms to receive his beauteous damsel the asturian who went all doubled up and in silence with her hands before her feeling for her lover encountered the arms of don quixote who grasped her tightly by the wrist and drawing her towards him while she dared not utter a word made her sit down on the bed he then felt her smock and although it was of sackcloth it appeared to him to be of the finest and softest silk on her wrists she wore some glass beads but to him they had the sheen of precious orient pearls her hair which in some measure resembled a horse's mane he rated as threads of the brightest gold of araby whose refulgence dimmed the sun himself her breath which no doubt smelt of yesterday's stale salad seemed to him to diffuse a sweet aromatic fragrance from her mouth and in short he drew her portrait in his imagination with the same features and in the same style as that which he had seen in his books of the other princess who smitten by love came with all the adornments that are here set down to see the sorely wounded knight and so great was the poor gentleman's blindness that neither touch nor smell nor anything else about the good lass that would have made any but a carrier vomit were enough to undeceive him on the contrary he was persuaded he had the goddess of beauty in his arms and holding her firmly in his grasp he went on to say in a low tender voice would that i found myself lovely and exalted lady in a position to repay such a favour as that which you by the sight of your great beauty have granted me but fortune which is never weary of persecuting the good has chosen to place me upon this bed where i lie so bruised and broken that though my inclination would gladly comply with yours it is impossible besides to this impossibility another yet greater is to be added which is the faith that i have pledged to the peerless dulcinea del toboso sole lady of my most secret thoughts and were it not that this stood in the way i should not be so insensible a knight as to miss the happy opportunity which your great goodness has offered me maritornes was fretting and sweating at finding herself held so fast by don quixote and not understanding or heeding the words he addressed to her she strove without speaking to free herself the worthy carrier whose unholy thoughts kept him awake was aware of his doxy the moment she entered the door and was listening attentively to all don quixote said and jealous that the asturian should have broken her word with him for another drew nearer to don quixote's bed and stood still to see what would come of this talk which he could not understand 
but when he perceived the wench struggling to get free and don quixote striving to hold her not relishing the joke he raised his arm and delivered such a terrible cuff on the lank jaws of the amorous knight that he bathed all his mouth in blood and not content with this he mounted on his ribs and with his feet trampled all over them at a pace rather smarter than a trot the bed which was somewhat crazy and not very firm on its feet unable to bear the additional weight of the carrier came to the ground and at the mighty crash of this the innkeeper awoke and at once concluded that it must be some brawl of maritornes because after calling loudly to her he got no answer with this suspicion he got up and lighting a lamp hastened to the quarter where he had heard the disturbance the wench seeing that her master was coming and knowing that his temper was terrible frightened and panic-stricken made for the bed of sancho panza who still slept and crouching upon it made a ball of herself the innkeeper came in exclaiming where art thou strumpet of course this is some of thy work at this sancho awoke and feeling this mass almost on top of him fancied he had the nightmare and began to distribute fisticuffs all round of which a certain share fell upon maritornes who irritated by the pain and flinging modesty aside paid back so many in return to sancho that she woke him up in spite of himself he then finding himself so handled by whom he knew not raising himself up as well as he could grappled with maritones and he and she between them began the bitterest and drollest scrimmage in the world the carrier however perceiving by the light of the innkeeper's candle how it fared with his lady love quitting don quixote ran to bring her the help she needed and the innkeeper did the same but with a different intention for his was to chastise the lass as he believed that beyond a doubt she alone was the cause of all the harmony and so as the saying is cat to rat rat to rope rope to stick the carrier pounded sancho sancho the last she him and the innkeeper her and all worked away so briskly that they did not give themselves a moment's rest and the best of it was that the innkeeper's lamp went out and as they were left in the dark they all laid on one upon the other in a mass so unmercifully that there was not a sound spot left where a hand could light it so happened that there was lodging that night in the inn an officer of what they called the old holy brotherhood of toledo who also hearing the extraordinary noise of the conflict seized his staff and the tin case with his warrants and made his way in the dark into the room crying hold in the name of this jurisdiction hold in the name of the holy brotherhood the first that he came upon was the pummeled don quixote who lay stretched senseless on his back upon his broken-down bed and his hand falling on the beard as he felt about he continued to cry help for the jurisdiction but perceiving that he whom he had laid hold of did not move or stir he concluded that he was dead and that those in the room were his murderers and with this suspicion he raised his voice still higher calling out shut the inn gate see that no one goes out they have killed a man here this cry startled them all and each dropped the contest at the point at which the voice reached him the innkeeper retreated to his room the carrier to his pack saddles the last to her crib the unlucky don quixote and sancho alone were unable to move from where they were the officer on this let go don quixote's beard and went out to look for a light to search for and apprehend the culprits but not finding one as the innkeeper had purposely extinguished the lantern on retreating to his room he was compelled to have recourse to the hearth where after much time and trouble he lit another lamp 
End of Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 16. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 17 of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter seventeen in which are contained the innumerable troubles which the brave don quixote and his good squire sancho panza endured in the inn which to his misfortune he took to be a castle by this time don quixote had recovered from his swoon and in the same tone of voice in which he had called to his squire the day before when he lay stretched in the vale of the stakes he began calling to him now sancho my friend art thou asleep sleepest thou friend sancho how can i sleep curses on it returned sancho discontentedly and bitterly when it is plain that all the devils have been at me this night thou mayest well believe that answered don quixote because either i know little or this castle is enchanted for thou must know but this that i am now about to tell thee thou must swear to keep secret until after my death i swear it answered sancho i say so continued don quixote because i hate taking away any one's good name i say repeated sancho that i swear to hold my tongue about it till the end of your worship's days and god grant i may be able to let it out to-morrow do i do thee such injuries sancho said don quixote that thou wouldst see me dead so soon it is not for that replied sancho but because i hate keeping things long and i don't want them to grow rotten with me from overkeeping at any rate said don quixote i have more confidence in thy affection and good nature and so i would have thee know that this night there befell me one of the strangest adventures that i could describe and to relate it to thee briefly thou must know that a little while ago the daughter of the lord of this castle came to me and that she is the most elegant and beautiful damsel that could be found in the wide world what i could tell thee of the charms of her person of her lively wit of other secret matters which to preserve the fealty i owe to my lady dulcinea del toboso i shall pass over unnoticed and in silence i will only tell thee that either fate being envious of so great a boon placed in my hands by good fortune or perhaps and this is more probable this castle being as i have already said enchanted at the time when i was engaged in the sweetest and most amorous discourse with her there came without my seeing or knowing whence it came a hand attached to some arm of some huge giant that planted such a cuff on my jaws that i have them all bathed in blood and then pummeled me in such a way that i am in a worse plight than yesterday when the carriers on account of rocinante's misbehaviour inflicted on us the injury thou knowest of whence i conjecture that there must be some enchanted moor guarding the treasure of this damsel's beauty and that it is not for me nor for me either said sancho for more than four hundred moors have so thrashed me that the drubbing of the stakes was cakes and fancy bread to it but tell me senor what did you call this excellent and rare adventure that has left us as we are left now though your worship was not so badly off having in your arms that incomparable beauty you spoke of but i what did i have except the heaviest wax i think i had had in all my life 
unlucky me and the mother that bore me for i am not a knight-errant and never expect to be one and of all the mishaps the greater part falls to my share then thou hast been thrashed too said don quixote didn't i say so worse luck to my line said sancho be not distressed friend said don quixote for i will now make the precious balsam with which we shall cure ourselves in the twinkling of an eye by this time the officer had succeeded in lighting the lamp and came in to see the man that he thought had been killed and as sancho caught sight of him at the door seeing him coming in his shirt with a cloth on his head and a lamp in his hand and a very forbidding countenance he said to his master senor can it be that this is the enchanted moor coming back to give us more castigation if there be anything still left in the ink-bottle it cannot be the moor answered don quixote for those under enchantment do not let themselves be seen by any one if they don't let themselves be seen they let themselves be felt said sancho if not let my shoulders speak to the point mine could speak too said don quixote but that is not a sufficient reason for believing that what we see is the enchanted moor the officer came up and finding them engaged in such a peaceful conversation stood amazed though don quixote to be sure still lay on his back unable to move from pure pummeling and plasters the officer turned to him and said well how goes it good man i would speak more politely if i were you replied don quixote is it the way of this country to address knights-errant in that style you booby the officer finding himself so disrespectfully treated by such a sorry-looking individual lost his temper and raising the lamp full of oil smoked don quixote such a blow with it on the head that he gave him a badly broken pate then all being in darkness he went out and sancho panza said that is certainly the enchanted moor senor and he keeps a treasure for others and for us only the cuffs and lamp-wax that is the truth answered don quixote and there is no use in troubling one's self about these matters of enchantment or being angry or vexed at them for as they are invisible and visionary we shall find no one on whom to avenge ourselves do what we may rise sancho if thou canst and call the alcaide of this fortress and get him to give me a little oil wine salt and rosemary to make the salutiferous balsam for indeed i believe i have great need of it now because i am losing much blood from the wound that phantom gave me sancho got up with pain enough in his bones and went after the innkeeper in the dark and meeting the officer who was looking to see what had become of his enemy he said to him senor whoever you are do us the favour and kindness to give us a little rosemary oil salt and wine for it is wanted to cure one of the best knights errant on earth who lies on yonder bed sorely wounded by the hands of the enchanted moor that is in this inn when the officer heard him talk in this way he took him for a man out of his senses and as day was now beginning to break he opened the inn gate and calling the host he told him what this good man wanted the host furnished him with what he required and sancho brought it to don quixote who with his hands to his head was bewailing the pain of the blow of the lamp which had done him no more harm than raising a couple of rather large lumps and what he fancied blood was only the sweat that flowed from him in his sufferings during the late storm to be brief he took the materials of which he made a compound mixing them all and boiling them a good while until it seemed to him they had come to perfection he then asked for some vial to pour it into and as there was no tone in the inn 
he decided on putting it into a tin oil bottle or flask of which the host made him a free gift and over the flask he repeated more than eighty paternosters and as many more ave marias salves and credos accompanying each word with a cross by way of benediction at all which there were present sancho the innkeeper and the officer for the carrier was now peacefully engaged in attending to the comfort of his mules this being accomplished he felt anxious to make trial himself on the spot of the virtue of this precious balsam as he considered it and so he drank near a quart of what could not be put into the flask and remained in the pipkin in which it had been boiled but scarcely had he done drinking when he began to vomit in such a way that nothing was left in his stomach and with the pangs and spasms of vomiting he broke into a profuse sweat on account of which he bade them cover him up and leave him alone they did so and he lay sleeping more than three hours at the end of which he awoke and felt very great bodily relief and so much ease from his bruises that he thought himself quite cured and verily believed he had hit upon the balsam of fear brass and that with this remedy he might thenceforward without any fear face any kind of destruction battle or combat however perilous it might be sancho panza who also regarded the amendment of his master as miraculous begged him to give him what was left in the pipkin which was no small quantity don quixote consented and he taking it with two hands in good faith and with a better will gulped down and drained off very little less than his master but the fact is that the stomach of poor sancho was of necessity not so delicate as that of his master and so before vomiting he was seized with such gripings and retchings and such sweats and faintness that verily and truly he believed his last hour had come and finding himself so racked and tormented he cursed the balsam and the thief that had given it to him don quixote seeing him in this state said it is my belief sancho that this belief comes of thy not being dubbed a knight for i am persuaded this liquor cannot be good for those who are not so if your worship knew that returned sancho woe betide me and all my kindred why did you let me taste it at this moment the draught took effect and the poor squire began to discharge both ways at such a rate that the rush mat on which he had thrown himself and the canvas blanket he had covering him were fit for nothing afterwards he sweated and perspired with such paroxysms and convulsions that not only he himself but all present thought his end had come this tempest and tribulation lasted about two hours at the end of which he was left not like his master but so weak and exhausted that he could not stand don quixote however who as has been said felt himself relieved and well was eager to take his departure at once in quest of adventures as it seemed to him that all the time he loitered there was a fraud upon the world and those in it who stood in need of his help and protection all the more when he had the security and confidence his balsam afforded him and so urged by this impulse he saddled rocinante himself and put the pack saddle on his squire's beast whom likewise he helped to dress and mount the ass after which he mounted his horse and turning to a corner of the inn he laid hold of a pike that stood there to serve him by way of a lance all that were in the inn who were more than twenty persons stood watching him the innkeeper's daughter was likewise observing him and he too never took his eyes off her and from time to time fetched a sigh that he seemed to pluck up from the depths of his bowels but they all thought it must be from the pain he felt in his ribs 
at any rate they who had seen him plastered the night before thought so as soon as they were both mounted at the gate of the inn he called to the host and said in a very grave and measured voice many and great are the favours senor alcaide that i have received in this castle of yours and i remain under the deepest obligation to be grateful to you for them all the days of my life if i can repay them in avenging you of any arrogant foe who may have wronged you know that my calling is no other than to aid the weak and to avenge those who suffer wrong and to chastise perfidy search your memory and if you find anything of this kind you need only tell me of it and i promise you by the order of knighthood which i have received to procure you satisfaction and reparation to the utmost of your desire the innkeeper replied to him with equal calmness sir knight i do not want your worship to avenge me of any wrong because when any is done me i can take what vengeance seems good to me the only thing i want is that you pay me the score that you have run up in the inn last night as well for the straw and barley for your two beasts as for supper and beds then this is an inn said don quixote and a very respectable one said the innkeeper i have been under a mistake all the time answered don quixote for in truth i thought it was a castle and not a bad one but since it appears that it is not a castle but an inn all that can be done now is that you should excuse the payment for i cannot contravene the rule of knights-errant of whom i know as a fact and up to the present i have read nothing to the contrary that they never paid for lodging or anything else in the inn where they might be for any hospitality that might be offered them is their due by law and right in return for the insufferable toil they endure in seeking adventures by night and by day summer and in winter on foot and on horseback in hunger and thirst cold and heat exposed to all the inclemencies of heaven and all the hardships of earth i have little to do with that replied the innkeeper pay me what you owe me and let us have no more talk or chivalry for all i care about is to get to my money you are a stupid scurvy innkeeper said don quixote and putting spurs to rocinante and bringing his pike to the slope he rode out of the inn before any one could stop him and pushed on some distance without looking to see if his squire was following him the innkeeper when he saw him go without paying him ran to get payment of sancho who said that as his master would not pay neither would he because being as he was squire to a knight-errant the same rule and reason held good for him as for his master with regard to not paying anything in inns and hostelries at this the innkeeper waxed very wroth and threatened if he did not pay to compel him in a way that he would not like to which sancho made answer that by the law of chivalry his master had received he would not pay a rap though it cost him his life for the excellent and ancient usage of knights-errant was not going to be violated by him nor should the squires of such as were yet to come into the world ever complain of him or reproach him with breaking so just a law the ill-luck of the unfortunate sancho so ordered it that among the company in the inn there were four wool-carters from segovia three needle-makers from the cult of cordova and two lodgers from the fair of seville lively fellows tender-hearted fond of a joke and playful who almost as if instigated and moved by a common impulse made up to sancho and dismounted him from his ass while one of them went in for the blanket of the host's bed but on flinging him into it they looked up and seeing that the ceiling was somewhat lower than what they required for their work they decided upon going out into the yard which was bounded by the sky 
and there putting sancho in the middle of the blanket they began to make sport with him as they would with a dog at shrovetide the cries of the poor blanketed wretch were so loud that they reached the ears of his master who halting to listen attentively was persuaded that some new adventure was coming until he clearly perceived that it was his squire who uttered them wheeling about he came up to the inn with a laborious gallop and finding it shut went round it to see if he could find some way of getting in but as soon as he came to the wall of the yard which was not very high he discovered the game that was being played with his squire he saw him rising and falling in the air with such grace and nimbleness that had his rage allowed him it is my belief he would have laughed he tried to climb from the horse onto the top of the wall but he was so bruised and battered that he could not even dismount and so from the back of his horse he began to utter such maledictions and objurgations against those who were blanketing sancho as it would be impossible to write down accurately they however did not stay their laughter or their work for this nor did the flying sancho cease his lamentations mingled now with threats now with entreaties but all to little purpose or none at all until from pure weariness they left off they then brought him his ass and mounting him on top of it they put his jacket round him and the compassionate maritornes seeing him so exhausted thought fit to refresh him with a jug of water and that it might be all the cooler she fetched it from the well sancho took it and as he was raising it to his mouth he was stopped by the cries of his master exclaiming sancho my son drink not water drink it not my son for it will kill thee see here i have the blessed balsam and he held up the flask of liquor and with drinking two drops of it thou wilt certainly be restored at these words sancho turned his eyes a squint and in a still louder voice said can it be your worship has forgotten that i am not a knight or do you want me to end by vomiting up what bowels i have left after last night keep your liquor in the name of all the devils and leave me to myself and at one in the same instant he left off talking and began drinking but as at the first sup he perceived it was water he did not care to go on with it and begged maritornes to fetch him some wine which she did with right good will and paid for it with her own money for indeed they say of her that though she was in that line of life there was some faint and distant resemblance to a christian about her when sancho had done drinking he dug his heels into his ass and the gate of the inn being thrown open he passed out very well pleased at having paid nothing and carried his point though it had been at the expense of his usual sureties his shoulders it is true that the innkeeper detained his alforjas in payment of what was owing to him but sancho took his departure in such a flurry that he never missed them the innkeeper as soon as he saw him off wanted to bar the gate close but the blanketers would not agree to it for they were fellows who would not have cared two farthings for don quixote even had he been really one of the knights-errant of the round table end of volume one part one chapter seventeen recording by expatriate in bangor maine